This evening we are going to consider the all-sufficiency of God. The all-sufficiency of God. Turn to the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall my camp shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there, not once but twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Amazing passage there. So what what, what we have there, the Syria is at war with Israel, and everything that the king of Syria says, word gets back to the king of Israel. And so the king of Syria, he's wondering if he's got a traitor in the camp, someone passing information to Israel, to the king of Israel. Who's the traitor in the camp? But there weren't any traitors in the camp. The king of Israel was receiving word from the prophet of God, Elisha. God was, in other words, giving Elisha the information, what the king of Syria was saying, and then that was being relayed back to the king of Israel. And then the king of Syria, he sent 
his armies to surround um, the prophet of God, Elisha. <coughs> he surrounded him in Dothan. And the servant of the prophet, he went out in the morning and he saw the army surrounding, Syrian army surrounding them, surrounding him, surrounding his master, the prophet. And he was afraid. And the prophet of God, he prayed that God would open the eyes of his servant. And his servant saw a a host of angels surrounding them. And then the prophet, he prayed that God would blind those troops, would afflict them with blindness. And that prayer was answered. It's an amazing story, isn't it? We need to look a little bit deeper at it. That's a a brief summary of what happened there. But first of all, we can consider the servant's lack of faith. Let's have a look again at 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. And we're looking at the lack of faith of the servant of the prophet. Verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do, or what shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. What is evident in those verses is a lack of faith of the prophet Elijah's Elisha's servant. In verse 15 there, the servant said, Alas, my master, how or what shall we do? You might think that that was a perfectly reasonable question for the servant to ask his master, given the situation and given that his master was a prophet of God. And if anyone would have the answer to that question, what are we going to do? The Syrian army surrounding us, the prophet of God, he'd be the one to turn to, to give an answer. But he feared, he was afraid. And we see that in the very next verse, in verse 16, where Elisha answered him, fear not. For Elisha to say, fear not, It's obvious that the servant was fearful. We don't have to start wondering, well, okay, so the the servant of Elisha, he was afraid, he saw that, he panicked, he was afraid. So was he a believer or not? Did he believe in God? Because after all, we're told to fear God and not men. That's a, a message that is often repeated in the New Testament. We shouldn't fear men that can destroy or kill the body. Fear God who can destroy both body and soul, casting body and soul into hell. He is the one that we are to fear, but not men. Okay, we know all that. If we read our New Testament, we know that to be the case. And we don't make light of it. We really should not fear men if we belong to Jesus and if our Father 
is Almighty God. It is ridiculous when you think about it to, that we should fear people when our Father is in heaven. Even so, what happened to Elijah's, Elisha's servant can very easily happen to born-again Christians. Let's be honest, we know what the New Testament tells us about not fearing men, but when we're being honest, we can all tremble, can't we? In, given, in different situations, we can become fearful. That's the reality. So we needn't try and spend waste time thinking, was that servant a man of God or not? I mean, after all, he was fearful. For what it's worth, I would say he was a believer. I, I would think that being a servant of the prophet Elisha, he probably was a man of God in his own right. But anyway, he was fearful. We are, we can be the same. We can be children of the Most High God, yet for all that, we can still wobble and our faith can crumble in times of testing. Each one of us here who belongs to Jesus, we can, we can be terrified even in times of testing. According to Matthew chapter 14 and verse 30, when the Apostle Peter saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. We read that passage earlier. Peter walking on the water. You can picture him getting out of the ship. Jesus was already on the water. And Peter, he began to walk towards his Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And then he saw the wind boisterous and he was afraid. In the very next verse, Jesus did not say, Oh, unbeliever, or Oh, thou of no faith. What Jesus did say was, Oh, thou of little faith. But at least he had faith, albeit a little faith. Probably very tiny at the time. And there were other occasions, weren't there? Most notably, perhaps, when um, Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Not once, not twice, but three times. Unthinkable that he should do that. But he did. He denied his Lord and Saviour. The one he had been with for three years. Yeah, okay, that was before Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit was given. Very different story on the day of Pentecost, wasn't it? Peter preached an amazing sermon. He was filled with a holy boldness. But even so, even so, I think we can still relate to what Peter was like before Pentecost when he denied his Saviour. And I don't suppose there is anyone here who can say with absolute certainty, even now, all these years after Pentecost, that we would not be as cowardly as Peter was on that occasion. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6, it is written, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. I read, I was reading it from my script here, 
but I know it off by heart. I've learned that those verses years ago. Lovely verses to learn. Putting them into practice is something else though. It's like so much in the Bible, isn't it? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Do I really do that? Does anyone in here really do that? Lean not, on all, uh, lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Sadly, all too often, the fact of the matter is that Christians do not acknowledge the Lord in all their ways. Instead, they make a big mistake of leaning on their own understanding and their own perceptions in difficult situations, just like the ungodly. Christians who belong to Jesus can be no different to people, to an atheist. An atheist doesn't have a God to lean on at all. He denies God. He's busy telling people that there is no God. I don't believe for one minute that that person believes that to be the case. He's a fool and he says in his heart there is no God. I'm not convinced that he actually believes that to be the case. But Christians can be just as ridiculous as the atheist when it comes to trusting in God. As if there is no God. In our passage, it would seem that Elisha's servant didn't go beyond seeing the massed armies of Syria when he stepped outside and it scared the life out of him. There is no indication that he reasoned with himself within himself, that, you know, he could have reasoned that it's hardly likely that that army just suddenly appeared. It takes time, it would take hours for an army like that to form and to, to, to organise themselves in a camp like that. <coughs> they didn't just appear. If he thought about it, it might have, he might have realised that it would have taken quite some time in the night for all those soldiers to arrive and to surround them. And that God had kept him safe and kept his master safe throughout the night. It was only in the morning that he stepped outside and he saw the Syrian army. Presumably he'd had a good night's sleep before that. With God watching over him and watching over his master. It probably didn't occur to him that as he and his master slept, the angels were there. God sent his angels to, to, to take charge of us, to guard us in all our ways. Without going into that now, but I, I you know, to this day I, I do think that there's been times in my life when the angels, I, I've really afterwards, not at the time, but afterwards I thought did God have his angel there watching over me protecting me from whatever the situation was getting me out of a what could have been a really bad situation I've been in a few in my time and I thank God that I'm here tonight He could have reasoned that God was there in the midst of it all. 
that he just needed to look to God and commit the situation to God. It really is as simple as that. Or at least it should be. In the same way, all too often, all too easily, Christians lapse into walking by sight instead of by faith. That is precisely what the Apostle Peter did when he walked on water and then he began to sink. He took his eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ and he saw that the wind was boisterous. That wouldn't have happened if he continued to look to Jesus. We can consider the great faith of Elisha. Here's the contrast. We've seen the servant's lack of faith. I'm not saying zero faith, but little faith, shall we say. But now we look at the great faith of Elisha. Look at verses 16 and 18 in 2 Kings chapter 6. 16 to 18. And he answered, that's Elisha, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Elisha, unlike his servant, was clearly trusting in the Lord in that time of testing. That can be deduced from the fact that he prayed to the Lord not once, but twice. We see that in the two verses there. In verses 17, verse 17, he prayed. In verse 18, he prayed. Also, even before Elisha prayed, he said to his servant, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. He was trusting in God to make such a statement. Having recognised that his servant was walking by sight and not by faith, Elisha interceded for his servant and he prayed that the Lord would open his eyes. That that is the eyes of faith to see the heavenly host and to see that God was with them. Elisha then prayed that the Lord would smite the Syrian army with blindness. That's an act of faith in itself, isn't it? To make to pray that. Pray to God to smite them with blindness. It's very clear that Elisha kept his focus on the Lord and he trusted in the all-sufficiency of God in that perilous situation. And by all-sufficiency, what I mean is God is all-knowing. In other words, he is omniscient. There is absolutely nothing that God does not know about. That situation that Elisha and the servant were in, God knew about it. He really does not, there is nothing whatsoever in this world that God does not know about. He knew what was happening there in Dothan and he was right there in the midst of it all. 
Elisha was confident that that Syrian army was no match for Almighty God. Almighty God, El Shaddai. So he's almighty, he's all-knowing. Elisha never lost sight of that reality. Because Almighty God can become almost... disappear when we're in trouble, can't he? And it's as if God doesn't know what I'm going through. When he does. And we've been looking at this on Sunday mornings. When we go through those fiery trials, God... He gives his people those trials. He gives them. And we know from um, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. It doesn't say all good things work together for good. Just all things work together for good. The fiery trials work together for good. To them that love God. Elisha, his servant, they were going through a fiery trial there. God was with them. Just like God was with those three men of God, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, when they were in that fiery furnace that they'd been cast into by King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. The Son of God was in that fire with them. That's a privilege. That is a real privilege to go through a trial knowing that your God and Saviour is with you in that trial. No wonder the Apostle Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. That's what Paul said. I'm not saying that we do that. I most certainly don't. But I make that my prayer, that I would rejoice in the Lord always. Always, especially so in the trials. Like the Apostle Paul himself, he practiced what he preached. Paul, who was in, in a dungeon in Philippi with his travelling companion Silas, the pair of them, at midnight, they, 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 they were singing hymns and praying to God. The whole prison heard them, worshipping God. Praising God in the midst of their trial. And no doubt God was with them in that dungeon. Having recognised that his servant was walking by sight and not by faith, Elisha interceded for his servant. He prayed that the Lord would open his eyes. He prayed for his servant. Elisha prayed that the Lord would smite that Syrian army with blindness. It's very clear that in all of this, that Elijah, he kept his focus on God. He wasn't sidetracked. It doesn't take much for me to be sidetracked. Even true Christians can easily have a faith that crumbles under pressure. We've seen this. 
That happens when their focus is not on Jesus. Consequently, they try to deal with difficult situations in their own strength and wisdom. And it makes them ill. The worry, instead of casting it upon the Lord, they try to deal with it in their own strength, with their own wisdom. But what is it that the Apostle Paul said about that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 25, Paul, said, Paul contrasted the infinite wisdom and strength of Almighty God with our foolishness and weakness when he said, the foolishness of God, sounds strange, doesn't it? The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. The way to avoid having a faith that crumbles is to trust in the all-sufficiency of God as it is declared throughout the Bible. The Bible that we read as Christians. And not let it, not forget it all when the trials come along. Pray in times of trouble. As it is written in Psalm 50 verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. I first heard that in a church in India. And the, the, the preacher there referred to it as the emergency phone number, 5015. Psalm 5015. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, thou shalt glorify me. But also don't just go into prayer mode when trials come your way. Start each new day with prayer and adopt an attitude of prayer throughout the day. As it, as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 and 7, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. I start each new day with the Lord's Prayer. A prayer that just recently, someone reminded me, well, it's only a pattern for prayer. It's more than a pattern for prayer, the Lord's Prayer. When did you last pray it? The prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread. Forgive me my trespasses, as I forgive those that trespass against me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. What a prayer is that? Is that just a pattern for prayer? I'd say that that is the perfect prayer. I challenge anyone in here to come out with a prayer that can beat that. There's everything in there, in that prayer. And for me... Not only is it the perfect prayer and therefore the perfect way to start each new day, it is a springboard and a launch pad into further prayer throughout the day.
I don't just set aside time to pray. I'm not that disciplined with prayer. It depends on, on things that are happening. But generally speaking, this is for me. It's different for everyone, I, I dare say. The point is that you, you, I, we need to start the day with prayer. I wonder if the servant, there, whether he started his day with prayer before he stepped outside and he saw the Syrian army. It would have probably helped him if he committed the day to God. Started the day with his focus on God. The prophet Elisha, he prayed for the Lord to open his servant's eyes. Dear Christian, if you have identified other believers who are not coping, they're struggling with things. Maybe they're struggling with sin or they're struggling with health issues, struggling financially, struggling with whatever, I don't know. Various things that we can be struggling with and things that really bring us down. Pray for them. Pray that they might focus on their Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and experience his presence. Last of all, if you are not trusting in the Son of God as your Saviour from sin, you most certainly are facing all of life's difficulties in your own strength and your own wisdom. And that's not a good thing because we've already seen you have no strength of your own and you most certainly have no wisdom. The, 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 the foolishness of God is greater than our wisdom. The weakness of God is greater than our strength. And you are going through each new day in your own strength, your own wisdom. Just like I used to, just like all the believers in here used to before they trusted in Jesus. And all I can say now, when I look back, is what a terrible thing that was. And I would not want to get out of my bed in the morning in my own strength and with my own wisdom. I would not want to face a new day without trusting in Jesus and committing the day to him. Perish the thought. All the things that we are common to all people, physical pain, mental anguish, illness, disease, old age and dying. Going through all of that without God, without God being with you. There is an alternative to that and that is turning to God as a repentant sinner, recognising not just your weakness before God, but your sinfulness before God. Crying out to God. Don't care what anyone says. Cry out to God for mercy. He will hear that prayer. He will hear your cry. And he will save you by his grace. And he will be with you forevermore. May that be the reality for each one of us in here. Amen.